Well, good morning, Chapel family. I invite you to take your Bibles if you would. We're going to be in Psalm 54 this morning. I encourage you to turn there. I'm going to shake things up just a little bit, do things a little bit differently this morning. But as we begin, let me ask a question. Uh, what do you do when your demise seems imminent? When you can almost taste your ruin? When you already feel defeated? What do you do when it looks like there is no way out? What do you do when people fail you or even worse, people betray you? Here in Psalm 54, I think we'll find some help. We're going to shake things up a little bit this morning, do things a little different. First, we're going to hear the, the backstory, the story behind the psalm. And uh, then we're going to come back and learn a few brief lessons from the psalm. So let's dig into the story behind Psalm 54. Well, howdy! Come on over. Sure, come on, come on. You got past the guards alive. That's an important first step. And if you're all right with them, then you're okay with me. Come on over. Come on, pull up a rock or something. Get here by the fire. Kind of cool out here tonight. Always amazes me how it can be so hot as blazes all day long. And in these, this desert air, it cools off so quick. Oh, come on, you guys. Both of you. Don't be shy, y'all. Come on. Don't worry about them guys. They're not half as mean as they look. Come on. Sit down. Are you hungry? Well, there's still a little stew over there. Uh, it's still warm. A couple bowls over there. Help yourselves. So what are you all doing out here anyway? Way out here. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere. And by the way, you're risking your life, you know, being here. King Saul hears about you. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm glad you like it. Thanks. So, uh, what? You want to join up? <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something. You young fellers, you need to listen up now because I'm going to tell it to you straight. There's only two good reasons to be out here in this forsaken wilderness with us. One, if you'll look around some of these guys, you'll see there's misfits, malcontents. Some of these guys, you know, they, they got themselves into some trouble and now they're running from the law. Bottom line... A lot of these guys, they're here because they don't have any choice. They, they don't have anywhere else to go. They're here. They, they're hoping that maybe a new king, they'll get a new chance. So the other reason, well, that's the rest of us. See, we're here because of, because of him. David. We trust that man. David's a good man. He's a godly man. You know... God has chosen him to be the next king of Israel. Did you know that? Prophet Samuel anointed him. God sent him to anoint him. We believe that's the right man to be king of Israel. I think King Saul knows that too, and that's exactly why King Saul is so intent on hunting him down and killing him. Yes, sir. David is God's choice. We need God's man on the throne of our country. Yes, we do. What? <laughs> Me? A warrior? <laughs> oh, thank you, son. But who do you think you're kidding, man? I'm an old man. My, my usefulness on a battlefield 
there ever was any. It was a long time ago. No, sir, I, I, I help these men out. I, I, I'm just here to cook some meals for David, tasty victuals to help nourish them, him and some of the other guys, get them out on the battlefield. And you guys just keep quiet. You can keep your comments to yourself. Thank you very much. I'd like to see you make a rock badger taste good. Goodness gracious, you slave all day getting food ready for folks. All they do is complain, complain, complain. You're a bunch of malcontent coyotes. That's all i got to say. Where was I? Oh, you were thinking about joining up. Well, I'm sure if you still in the morning, you still want to be a part of this, that maybe one of the three will give you an inter- I mean, an interview. <laughs> what three? Don't you kids know nothing? The three. Why, simply the most famous, the most fearsomest, the most bravest, the most toughest warriors to ever walk this land. Those three. Oh, you've heard of them, haven't you? Well, tell you what, them guys, they are the stuff of legend. Don't look. But over there by the wagon. Stop looking. I told you not to look. Over there by the wagon, that's one of them. That's Joshua. Did you know Joshua one time, he faced 800 enemy soldiers by himself. Killed every last one of them. Yes, sir. You don't mess with any of them three. Mm-mm-mm. You don't mess with those guys. <laughs> Let me tell you one of my favorite stories about the three. It goes back a few years ago. We were it was about two years ago. We were just getting started this outfit, and um, we was up in the up northwest, about twenty miles up in the cave of Abdulam. We was hanging out there, and uh, at night we were a bunch of us were around the fire, and we were sitting there. And we were swapping stories, you know, of where we grew up and and our families and stuff, and and uh, David started talking. David started telling about when uh, he was growing up back in that little village of Bethlehem. And, and David was saying how, how there was this well in Bethlehem. He said, this well has the freshest, the purest, the, the sweetest water, he said, that you have ever tasted in your life. He said, just one sip of that water, one drink of that water, and he said, it'll refresh you from the top of your head down to the bottom of your toes, he said. He said, oh, he said, I can just almost taste it in my mind. What I would give for a drink of water from that well. (laughs) Well, we'd all finish some more of our stories, and then we laid down, drifted off to sleep. Everybody except them three. You know what them three did? They snuck out of camp that night, and they went. 13 miles from the, that cave up to Bethlehem over mountains and around down valleys and around place, and you get to, and that weren't the half of it they get up there and, and back in those days that village of Bethlehem was under the control of them Philistines them Philistines had a whole garrison of soldiers packed right there in that town of Bethlehem but that weren't no cause for that that didn't 
frighten them guys at all. Them three, they just went up there. They busted through the line of the Philistines and they got into town there. They got to that well. They got the water out of that well. They busted back out of that town and got away, clean away, and came back 13 more miles back to the cave where we were. Yes, sir. All that so when David woke up in the morning, there was that water there right from that well in Bethlehem. Can you imagine that? All that for a drink of water. That tells you a little bit about them three, the most loyalest friends you could ever have. But they are fierce. They are tough, man. I tell you, I am glad they're on our side. That's all i got to say. Yep. What's that? You heard right. Absolutely, you heard right. When we ain't been running from Saul, what we're doing is we're we's helping people. We help people all around here. We folks who being being you know there's there's not only them Philistines there's Moabites and Amorites there's all kinds of folks there's raiding parties that come through and and what we do is we go out and we protect people we help them so that they they don't get their stuff stolen and stuff we do a lot of that but don't you go getting no ideas that if you go helping people that you're gonna get any kind of loyalty or appreciation from folks because let me tell you it doesn't work that way you think you're gonna get famous people gonna love you no mm-mm. Let me tell you, a few years ago, no, it really wasn't a few years ago, it was a few months ago, we was, uh, there's this town called uh, Kela, Kela, and um, got word that them Philistines who were attacking the, that area of Kela, they had been for some time, they'd been going around and they had been pillaging and plundering and robbing and stealing from the folks around there, they'd, they'd already gotten all the stuff around Keilah, and then they, they turned their attention to that little town of Keilah. There was a fortress there, a fort, and everybody had run there to be safe. They were about to attack the fortress, and weird word had come to us that, that uh, they was in trouble. And so David, like David would always do, he'd go to God and he'd say, God, should we go up to Keilah to deliver the town? And God said, yep, you should. So there we went. Then we took off, and we, we went running up there to Kela, and we got there, and I'll tell you what these guys, they gave it to them good. Man, they whooped up on them Philistines, and they took off like a bunch of flies. They were dropping like flies. I mean, and, and, and they was running like flies. They just, them, them of them that didn't get dead, they was still a-running, and they, I don't think they stopped running until they got down to the great seas. No, sir, they just kept on a-going. Well, they left behind all the stuff. So then people in Keilah, they got all their stuff back. They got their cattle back and they got them, their goats and their sheep and all of their stuff. They all got it back. And they were so happy. And they had us all in. They, they threw a big banquet for us and we all ate like kings. And then they said, won't you all just stay here and live with us? And we said, well, that'd be all right. And we stuck around and we lived there. And man, they was treating us like kings. It was, it was awesome. It was so good. Word got up to Saul that we had uh, that we had delivered this town from them Philistines, and and uh, Saul got to thinking. He did. He got to thinking that you know they sitting there in a the city, that town that's got walls, that fortress. That, that fortress keeps people out. It also keeps people in. And Saul got to thinking, if I if I surround that fortress with my with my troops, I'll have David and his men caged up like birds in a cage. I will. And you know he's right. That's what would happen. I hadn't thought of that, but uh, David had thought of that, and David had 
like David, he, he, he just seems to know what Saul is thinking. But it's not like David has any sixth sense or something, you know. He just knows, I think he knows Saul's thoughts before, before Saul knows Saul's thoughts because he prays. David goes to God and, says, and, and asks, and, and apparently David gone to God and he said, God, is Saul going to come down here against Keilah? And, and God said, yep, he will. And David said, God, is, is Saul, when Saul comes down, are these people here in Keilah, are they going to surrender us up to Saul? And God said, yep, they will. So David said, it's time for us to get out of here. And sure enough, we, we hightailed it out of there. We left Keilah, and here we come out here into this Judean wilderness. Now, I tell you right from the beginning, I, I said, this is a bad idea. We have no business going out here into this wilderness. Have you seen what a desolate place this is? But like usual, David has a good plan. I didn't realize at the time that this place is a blessing. I mean, all of these rolling, just endless hills and these, and these deep valleys and crevices all through here, it makes it just a bear trying to walk anywhere, but that makes a good thing because you can, you can go around and move around through all of these little ravines and valleys and people can't see where you are. They can't see you moving around and they don't know what you're doing. It makes it easy to hide, lots of hiding places and if you ever are, somebody's coming at you, there's usually places to get out, lots of little escapes. And, and if they're ever attacking you, there's lots of cover with all of these rocks everywhere. And so it was a good plan. But you've also noticed how dry it is. And, you know, it's, it's hard for anything to live out here except a few flocks of goats and sheep and stuff. They do all right. But it's really hard to find water for, for 600 people. That's what we got here. Trying to find water and food. Let me tell you, boys, you, you got this, this stuff to drink here and you got food you eat and you drink because I tell you, there's going to be times where you're going to think that there's some rock badgers having a fight there in your tummy. You're going to be so hungry. And it's going to be difficult. But even that, you'd see, it turned out to be a blessing because, you see, there's, while it's tough for us to survive out here, a, a group any bigger than us, you couldn't make it tall. Mm-mm. And what that's done is it's given us protection from Saul and his men, and David knew that. <laughs> I just figured it out. You see, Saul needs a much bigger army to defeat us, but he can't keep an army alive out here long enough to find us. <laughs> so we've been safe here. Good thing being out here. But it's hard on the body, man. It's hard on it. It takes a toll on you out here. But I tell you, besides it being hard out here in the wilderness, just being on the run all the time, it takes a toll on your on your spirit, man. I've gotten to know David pretty good over these years. I can read him like a book. Every morning I take him his breakfast and I can just tell what's going on up there in that mine. And I, I could tell here about a month or so ago, I could tell that he was getting really down in the mouth. You know, he's getting discouraged. It's been hard out here. And I think David was beginning to doubt whether God might actually keep His promises or not. I think he was beginning to think that maybe God just might let us die out here in the wilderness. David might die here. Or, or even worse, that he might die at the hand of Saul. And I think he could, I could just read it in his eyes. He just The sparkle was gone. He's just getting kind of quiet. And let me tell you, let me tell you, young fella, something. God always knows what we need and 
God, when we're looking to Him, God will always send what we need right at the very moment you need it. Always. That's the way God works, I tell you. Well, and so it was. Here we were, I could tell David's getting discouraged. And then one day, you won't believe who walked into this tent. Just out of the blue and as big as you please, who comes strolling into camp, you wouldn't guess it in a million years. I tell you, just you would not ever think of who this... You keep your comments to yourself. Goodness gracious, in my story. Yeah, they're right. It was Prince Jonathan, King Saul's son. Just come strolling in here. Did you know that he is David's most loyalest and most bestest friend? Yes, sir. Jonathan came here just because he thought he needed to tell David that God is always faithful. See, he comes in here and he says, David, I need you to know God made you promises and God's going to keep His promises because God always does that. David, ain't nothing going to happen to you out here because God won't let anything happen to you because He's going to make you king. And he says, David, you need to know I'm your most best friend and I'm your loyal servant. They had some good time visiting and then Jonathan took off just almost as quick as he showed up. David was encouraged after that. I could see it in him. That sparkle was back in his eyes. And I could see he once again just had that peace that he knew God's in charge. It's going to be all right. I always find it amusing, you know. Here for the last several years, Saul has been a-looking and a-looking and a-looking for David, looking everywhere, searching everywhere, trying to find David. He can't find David no matter how hard he tries. But any time Jonathan wants to find David, he finds him without no trouble at all. <laughs> Just a reminder, God's always in control. Yes, sir. So we safe out here. Saul can't find us without help and ain't nobody helping him. And so we've been safe out here in this wilderness. Not comfortable, but safe. Well, so we thought to a few weeks ago. Now our closest neighbors are them Ziphites over there, a few miles over them hills. Them Ziphites. Now there's some distant relations to David. The family. And they seemed welcoming here. They seemed hospitable, you know, as we come in. They, they didn't mind us sharing their little corner of the wilderness, but we didn't know it. A few weeks ago, some of them folks went up there, up there to Gibeah where Saul is, and they ratted us out. Told him where we was to the very hilltop we was camping on. We just found out couple weeks ago when we just almost got caught flat-footed. Here we was one day and all of a sudden David gets finds out somehow God let him know that them, them, them folks was coming and we just had to pick up and start a running 
And so then we ran with Saul hot on our heels. He had a big army running behind us. And we was going this way and that way and this way and that way. And we've been all through this wilderness in the last couple of weeks. Every time they're on our tail, we'd just make a little escape down this way or that way. And it was going like that. But a couple of days ago, it just got desperate. Super desperate. There we were. We was going along. And we were, we were going along this way on one side of a mountain and, and going along right on the other side of the mountain is Saul and his forces coming this way. We knew they were there, but they didn't know we was there. And, and we were going along and we realized that there is no way back and there is no way out. We're going into a dead end. We are about to be captured. We were getting so desperate. We was about to be like dead coyotes hanging on the fence. I mean, that was our fate. I could tell. And most of us, we just knew this is the end. Best we got an hour or two before they get us. What did we do? Well, we didn't do nothing. There was nothing to do. We was dead meat. Well, that's what I thought. So most of the guys were beginning to think. We're going to do our last stand here. But David, I could see it in his eyes. He knew something. He'd been, like always, he'd been praying and praying and praying. And he just knew God was up to something. He didn't know what, but God was up to something. I tell you, like I said before, God always knows what we need. And when we look to Him... He provides it just at the right time. Well, there we were. We was approaching that dead end. We was, they was coming around this mountain. They're coming, starting to come over the mountain. We could see it. We could hear them. We could almost smell them. We was, it was just there. And then, just then, right out of the blue, this guy came riding up, lickety-split up to Saul and his men, screaming out, King Saul! King Saul! Help! King Saul, them Philistines, they have launched an all-out assault on Israel. They are coming at us from everywhere. you got to come help. you got to bring them soldiers right now, the whole army. you got to get back. you got to rescue your kingdom or there won't be nothing left. And sure enough, Saul had to leave. He had to break off and take them soldiers. And off they took. For the first time in a long time, King Saul had to actually go do his job. <laughs> yes, sir. We were saved solely by God's hand. <laughs> David, you know, David, he wrote a song about that. You know, he does that an awful lot. He writes songs about things. He taught it to us here yesterday. Well, that's the story. We've heard the psalm as well. Let's turn there. I hope you have it in front of you. I just want to look briefly in these few minutes we have left to see what can we learn from this psalm that will help us in times of betrayal, times of impending defeat, problems where it looks like there's no way out. David and his men were suddenly forced to run for their lives what do they do? Verse 1. O oh God, save me by Your name and vindicate me by Your might. O oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. 
for strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Selah. Their situation was unexpected. It was unfair. Do you notice that so many of the desperate situations that come into your life or my life, they just come in unexpected. They take us by surprise. They catch us off guard. What do we do? Where do we, what do we, where do we start? We should start exactly where David does in these first three verses. Take our problem to God in prayer. But I don't know if you're like me, but so often I fail to do that. I start so many other places. I try this, I try that, I do an awful lot of things before I pray. And we suffer for it when we do that. You may remember how the old hymn gently reminded us. You remember this one? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That's right. We bear a lot of sleepless nights, needless pain, unnecessary worries and stresses simply because we don't pray. You might notice that David had two petitions, two requests in his prayer. The first one he said was, he said, Save me, O God, by Your name. Your name means everything that God is, everything that God, about who God is and, and what He's said, what He's promised. And David says, Save me. He says that strangers have risen up against Him. We think strangers... Well, the people that rose up against him were people he knew. King Saul, people that rose up against him were, were his, his relatives, the, the Ziphites. Ziphites. And the word can mean literally strangers, but it also can mean, as I think it refers to here, people that you thought you knew but didn't really know. Someone you thought you could trust, but they turned their back on you. They betrayed you. Sometimes the enemy that you need to be rescued from is the very person you thought you could trust. What do you do when you're betrayed? What do you do when you're let down by a friend? This psalm encourages us by example. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Second thing that David prays, besides save me, he says, vindicate me. His good name is being slandered. His reputation is being tarnished with a whole bunch of false accusations. Justice is being perverted as... He, an innocent man, is being pursued by evil men, by wicked men, ruthless guys. David was a model citizen. He was nothing but loyal to King Saul. And yet the law has turned against him. It's the the law, it's the police, it's the king, it's the government who's pursuing David like he's public enemy number one. Justice is being turned upside down. God's Word, God's promises have been rejected and been scorned by godless men. King David had been anointed by the prophet Samuel at the instruction of God that he was going to be the next king. And yet Saul and others refused what God said. Jonathan, Saul's son, fully understood what it what God was doing, and he submitted to God's will and was glad to welcome David to be the next king, but not Saul. And Saul enlisted anyone and everyone he could to go against what God wanted and go against David. And he tried to take 
to enlist everyone in his plot to eliminate David. David understandably wants to see vindication for all of these things. And, you know, the truth is most of us, most of the time at least, we want to see justice prevail. We long to see that. We don't like to see injustice going on, do we? Especially when it's against us. But be prepared. Even when you and I faithfully follow Jesus Christ, when we sincerely try to do the right thing, just know that we will often face opposition. We will face unjust, unfair treatment. False accusations. The Bible tells us that very clearly. You know, it says there's a promise in the Bible. You know, we like to claim the promises of the Bible. Well, most of them. There's some we don't like. This is one of them. (laughs) Everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus, you remember what the rest of that is? Will suffer persecution. There's a promise to write down in your Bibles. (laughs) But it's true. Expect it. What do you do when it comes? We start by praying. Second thing we do, and David gives us example here, and we look, verse 4. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. First thing we do, and first thing David does here is he prays. The second thing he does is he trusts God. David, in this, in this psalm, he's not promoting just positive thinking. What you and I need to do is we just need to, to change our thinking so that we feel better. You know, some a little hopeful, some kind of little wishful thought that, well, I just hope everything turns out all right. I'm just going to think positive. Not that kind of stuff. Nor is he advocating some ridiculous attempt to try to will good things to happen by positive confession or by some word of faith. You know, I just speak the right words and right things happen. We don't make things happen. No, that's not what the Bible tells us to do and it's not what this psalm is calling us to do. What David does is he, he is leading us by example to see how we find rest and we find peace by trusting God because of who He is and what He has said. Whom God has declared Himself to be in His Word. You'll, you'll look that David is, is really reminding himself. He's preaching to himself here in verse 4 where he, he reminds himself about who God is. And on the basis of what he, what he preaches to himself about God in verse 4, in verse 5, David has confidence. David finds rest. Look at those truths in verse 4. I just want to quickly point our attention to them. First, David says, God is my helper. Trust God because He is your helper. That word helper is an important word. The way it's used most of the time in the Scripture is that word helper is used for military power that comes to the aid and assistance of someone else. In other words, it would be probably translated this way in our way of thinking. God is my ally. See, you might not be very powerful. You may be weak. But if you have a strong ally, your weakness is of little consequence. 
Some of you have heard me tell, I know I've said it at least once before in years gone by, I've told the story back when I was in sixth grade, a little scrawny junior higher back in El Paso, Texas, and I was on my way home from school and uh, just got behind the, going behind the 7-Eleven to cut through the vacant lot to get back over to, to my subdivision. As I get behind there, there's this kid from, from school, Kenny. I'm going to beat you up, he says. I don't know why anybody would ever want to beat me up. I still haven't figured out what his problem was. But he was determined he was going to beat me up. And, and I was never really anything of a fighter. And so uh, he probably would have. And I'm sitting here trying to figure out how I'm going to get out of this mess. By the way, that Texas accent, I was in Texas. I grew up there. <laughs> so Kenny talked that way. So did I. We all did. But I was trying to figure out how to get out of this and... What I didn't know was coming up behind me was John. John is my neighbor across the street. Eighth grader. I'm in sixth. He's been held back a couple of times and he's over six foot tall. John says a few magical words to Kenny. And Kenny was never a problem the rest of my time in junior high. You see, it doesn't matter how weak you are or how powerless you think you are if you have a strong ally. And David says, God, Elohim is the word there, the Creator God is your ally. Trust in God because the powerful Creator God is your ally. Then David says, God is the upholder of my life. Trust God because He's your upholder. That word means the, the sustainer, the one that holds everything together. And he uses the word, he says, he says a different word for God. He says, the Lord, the Adonai, the, the God who is master, who is in charge, the one who holds the universe together, as the Scripture says. He's the one who keeps atoms from flying apart. He's the one that keeps breath in your, your, in your lungs. He's the one that directs the affairs of nations. The Lord is your upholder. So we can trust the circumstances of our life to Him because He's in charge. We can leave justice in His hands because that God said this, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Deuteronomy 32. So you and I can let go of our pain. We can let go of our hurts. We can let go of our anger. We can let go of our bitterness. And we can leave all of that to Him. Because the Lord Almighty, He is our upholder. So first we pray to God, David says, or leads by example. We pray and then we trust God. And as we trust God, we preach to ourselves. We remind ourselves who God is and what He has said. And that gives us the confidence to put our trust and our rest in Him. Then lastly, David ends with this. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For He has delivered me from every trouble and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Third thing that this psalm leads us to do is 
to worship. Certainly, we need to rejoice. We need to give thanks. Whenever God answers our prayers and He delivers us out of some problem, some situation, we should be responding with prayer and with praise and with thanksgiving to God. Certainly, that's true. But I think the whole point of this psalm is that David is intending for you and me to sing this psalm while we are still in the middle of the trouble. Long before rescue comes, before we can see it even on the horizon, when we're in the middle of problems, it is still the time to worship God. Because indeed, we, even though we might not see deliverance in this moment, we can be assured, we can be certain that God will deliver us. That's what David says here. God will deliver us. Truth is, even though we might not see it at this moment, we also might not see it in this lifetime. There are plenty of godly people who have been killed exactly because they're a godly person. There are godly people who have suffered unimaginable things. Is God failing on His promise? No, because ultimately... The deliverance that is promised ultimately isn't here. The deliverance that ultimately is the only one that matters. It's not about here and now. It's for forever. All of us who trust in Christ will have deliverance eternal. We have eternal life, a future in heaven. And the stuff of God's deliverance doesn't involve the stuff that is here today and gone tomorrow. It involves the stuff that really matters. The treasures that last forever. David says, God leads us into triumph. Ultimately, sometimes God delivers us here, but sooner or later, one day, He's going to deliver us to heaven. That's the deliverance we look for. Because it's the only one that matters. As I think the book of Revelation makes it so clear, we win. Right there in the end of the book, Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Jesus says it this way, Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. Our deliverer is coming back one day. The deliverance we look for isn't deliverance here. It's deliverance that lasts forever. And He says He's bringing His reward. The reward He's bringing is for us. All who look to Him. His return, He says, it's soon, meaning it's imminent. Not that it's going to happen necessarily in the next 30 minutes. It just means it can happen any time. And it's soon, meaning that it is certain. It is for sure. And so we worship God because our deliverance is for sure. So what do we do when dark times come? We pray. And we trust God. And we worship. Father, we needed this. Because some of the folks here today are in the middle of those tough times. They've been betrayed. They've been let down. They are in a world of hurt and some problems, some situation. Some of the folks are there. Some of us right now, we don't know it, but there's something going to happen in the next 
little while. For all of us, if we live long enough, difficult times are coming sooner or later. They come to us all and how we need to, to be reminded how we need to respond. Father, may we be faithful to do as this psalm has, has shown us by example. May we be faithful to pray. Lord, not to just start trying to, to fix this and fix that, but the first response that, that we have, the first instinct is to get on our knees before You and pray. Father, then may we trust You. May we be reminded and we remind ourselves of who You are and what You've promised. And may we cling to Your promises and there find rest. And then, Lord, may we begin to rejoice because we know that while You may deliver us here, we can be assured that You will guaranteed for sure deliver us in what really matters. We have ultimately a victory that is coming. It is unimaginable, unbelievable to us and it is forever. So may we cling to these things and in so doing bring honor to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.